Chapter Two of England in the Middle Ages. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. England in the Middle Ages by Elizabeth O'Neill. The Menace of Feudalism, eleven hundred to eleven fifty four. Henry, the Red King's brother, was hunting with him when he fell, and immediately rode off to Winchester to secure the royal treasure. There were some who would have withstood him in Robert's name, but he had the advantage of being on the spot. Quick to act and diplomatic, he won his ends. The wise men acclaimed him king. There was in no sense an election, for though in those days the rule of secession was vague, the elective element only entered in as putting the seal on established fact. Robert was on crusade, and in any case could only have been acceptable to the worser feudal element in hope to make profit of his foibles. Henry I ranks as one of England's best kings, yet it is in the same sense as the conqueror. He acted in the interests of the people because it was the straightest way to power. In person he resembled his father, perhaps more than did his brother, being dark in complexion. Stout, too, but not so tall. He had inherited his father's pleasant, deep voice. He was a scholar and was sometimes called Beauclerk, and he had all a Norman lawyer's passion for order and definition. He has for us little of the personal interest of his father, still less the morose fascination of his brother. His work, rather than his temperament, arrests attention. Certainly it is that Henry made up his mind to pursue his father's policy of encouraging English institutions at the expense of the more objectionable traits of feudalism. Time had been wanting to the first William to form any definite and lasting amalgamation. It seems that Rufus used the English institutions only to abuse them, Henry was loud and constant in his assurance that he would put down all unrighteousness that had been in his brother's time. Within a few days of his coronation, he issued a charter of liberties to be sent into every shire, embodying his intentions to reform. It was the first English charter of so many. Its essence was the promise to the church and to the lay lords that they should be free from unjust exactions the barons must extend similar treatment to their men. The law of King Edward was to be restored, with the changes made by the conqueror. This was always the ideal. In point of fact, Henry taxed the nation heavily throughout his reign, and in his feudal relations leaned to severity. But he kept order, and he established a centralized administrative system which made for routine and equal justice. Above all, he maintained peace, and the familiar formula of praise was applied once again to him. In his days a man or woman might fare through the land with their bosoms full of gold, and no man dare say aught to them but good. The work of organization which Henry wrought can best be examined in the light of its development under his grandson, Henry II. Suffice it to say that he established a central system of justice, which sent out itinerant judges who sat in the local English courts and under old forms gave new and royal justice. The new system of trial by 
duel which became the rule in criminal cases is first heard of under henry it was the beginning of the process by which the king's justice practically took possession of the shire courts for the future too courts were to meet at set times in the old accustomed places a stipulation which arbitrary actions on the part of the sheriffs during a period of disorganization had probably made necessary rano flambard had been in prison at the beginning of the reign but had had the ingenuity to obtain a rope in a barrel of wine and escape from the tower the justiciar in this reign though he probably had not the title was roger bishop of salisbury who controlled the whole administration and created the exchequer system an illuminating anecdote tells that it was his quickness in getting through the saying of his mass as a simple priest which first attracted henry's attention to him roger was a norman but henry had sufficiently shown his english sympathies by his choice of a wife he married in the first year of his reign edith daughter of malcolm and saint margaret and thus a representative of the old west saxon house she now took the norman name matilda the interpretation put on the marriage by contemporaries is illustrated by the nicknames which the normans jeeringly applied to the king and queen of godric and gakifu the feudal elements rose in revolt almost immediately robert was back in normandy from the holy land where he had won by his brilliant prowess offer of a crown only to refuse it the duchy naturally lapsed to him again on the death of william the leading barons in england offered him their help to win the crown of england he gave a willing ear and came to try his luck in eleven o one henry had mobilized the english feared and taught it how to fight but as always he preferred the methods of diplomacy a yearly payment and some minor concessions of land in normandy satisfied robert and henry was free to punish the barons who had turned traitor some less prominent rebels were immediately disinherited and went back to normandy the more prominent were dealt with with deliberate revengefulness each in turn men like robert or lacy or the cowardly ivo of grant messieur who had run away from the crusade most prominent and defiant of all was robert of belaim who had lands and castles scattered all over england these were taken piecemeal and robert allowed to withdraw a landless man to console himself with his norman possessions two years later he went to war with the duke and anarchy reigned in the duchy the conditions invited henry's interference he restored order but did not yet show his hand the banishment of william of mortain another of the dangerous barons with possessions on both sides of the channel reinforced robert of belaim who again took arms in eleven o five henry once more crossed to normandy and took caen and bayeux for his own a third expedition in the next year found all the forces of the two roberts and william united against him at tuchibri henry won the battle and robert of belaim fleeing in panic before the issue alone among the leaders saved himself duke robert the brilliant crusader who had lightly foregone so much and caught always at shadows was brought back to england to live out his days a captive 
the english and henry's army boasted that they had avenged hastings when they conquered normandy at Tuchebrai. in effect the duchy did now take the character of a mere appendage to england resistance there was not dead and intermittently discontented barons rose against henry's rule in favour of william cleto robert's son the french king too when it suited him aided his cause the year eleven ten again saw barons driven from england to normandy as a result of these vast confiscations the king had much land to give he found it as it were a new nobility drawn largely from the increasing class of skilled administrators produced by the development of a more elaborate system henry i was a loyal churchman in much the same sense as his father ready to give the church its due but determined to maintain royal and national rights against any attempt at encroachment and in his day there came a trial of strength for which the time had not been ripe under the conqueror the hildebrandine revolution had won to itself all the churches in europe and with growing power the papal claims grew too the conflict with anselm which played so large a part in the reign of henry was on a different plane from that between the archbishop and the red king there is no question of arbitrary abuse on henry's part it was a conflict of principles which were being brought into fresh prominences in europe at large the investiture struggle in england was as it were a miniature copy of the duel between pope and emperor which loomed so prominently in the history of the period henry immediately on his accession invited anselm to return from his wanderings the temporalities of his see confiscated by rufus were in the king's hands he prepared to restore them expecting from the archbishop the homage customary on such occasions to his surprise anselm made demure the pope so he informed henry did not approve of lay investiture henry was dumbfounded he was anxious to be on friendly terms with the church if only to keep his support in his claim to the english throne but every bishop was a baron too and he could not forego his authority over them that the attitude of the archbishop was new and startling is proved by the fact that anselm had received unquestioningly investiture from the king's predecessor the attitude of the papacy on the subject of lay investiture was part of a conscious policy which hoped to build up an imperial church homogeneous and independent able to show a united front to the nations which in their secular aspect should be subservient to it and accept its standards it represented the most characteristic ideal of the medieval papacy in the period of its greatest predominance henry wisely suggested that a settlement should be postponed meanwhile the archbishop was allowed to enjoy the revenues of his see in eleven o two an embassy to the pope to present both sides received no satisfaction but henry by this time felt himself fairly secure on the english throne and took courage to demand that anselm should do him the customary homage his own envoys to rome assured him that the pope had given them private assurance that he would not interfere with henry should the king take things into his own hands so long as suitable men were appointed to the bishoprics 
for necessarily the right to investment ultimately the power to choose Anselm, however proposed a new embassy to rome and so things dragged on in a state of suspense and in eleven o three anselm himself went out of england to plumb the papal politics in person at length the question was settled by way of compromise discussed lengthily in the intervening years and legalized in eleven o nine for the future the king could not invest with the ring and staff symbols of the spiritual office of the bishop but he was to retain the investiture with the fief elections were to be made in the king's chapel with the consent of the king and homage done for the fief before consecration on the whole question the victory was to the king though it must be remembered that in individual cases where dual authority enters into the battle will be to the strong the settlement of the question anticipated the letter of that between pope and emperor in the concordat of worms in eleven twenty two but the spirit was different in that case the substantial victory was won temporarily by the spiritual arm anselm died in eleven o nine and for five years the archbishopric was vacant the king applying his revenues apparently without protest to his own various purposes an illustration of the limitation the observance of his charter promises meanwhile forces in the english church were making for a new balance between church and state bring about naturally the state of things which anselm in deference to the papal ideal would have imposed artificially the ideals of the hildebrandine papacy came to be the stock mode of thinking in the english church and the king's victory in the matter of episcopal appointments came to mean nothing when every possible nominee was an ardent papalist before the end of henry's reign the forces of monasticism were strengthened by several houses of cistercians the new french order of white monks which under the inspiration of stephen harding the englishman had formulated a new and severe interpretation of the benedictine rule the order found its safeguard against the looseness of practice which had beset the black months in an emphasis of that element of manual work which st benedict had prescribed the form this took was agricultural labor and the cistercians became famous farmers in england especially in the north they settled in remote spots as in the wilds of yorkshire and devoted themselves to pasturage and the production of wool the labor of the choir monks could not suffice alone for the maintenance of their farms and the employment of lay brethren bound to the religious life but not to the recitation of the office became a feature of the order in the economic sphere the settlement of the cistercians is important because the export trade in wool was one of the most important sources of english wealth in the middle ages already in the second generation of the norman settlement there were found lay landlords like richard of rulos who were remembered for their generosity and their wise and kindly administration of their lands the monasteries for the most part were much larger than the manors probably acted on similar lines the cistercians represented only one wave of the monastic reform before the end of henry's reign fifty houses of black canons of 
St. Augustine, in order theoretically uniting the active with the contemplative life, had been founded in England. These regular canons were often attached to hospital and lazar houses, as were the nuns of the order. But there were, too, many large houses of canons, whose practice differed little, if at all, from that of the ordinary black monks of St. Benedict. The great monastic movement in Henry's reign at once signified and furthered the growing power of the church. The church courts developed freely. Appeals to Rome became frequent. In 1125, a papal legate, the first to come to England since Henry's accession, made a full visitation of England, and henceforth the Archbishop of Canterbury became standing papal legate in England. Thus the cause which Anselm had fought and seemingly lost was slowly asserting itself, and when under Henry II the wills of church and state clashed, the balance of power had shifted considerably. Henry was probably hardly conscious of these things, or he may have deemed it impossible to stem the tide. He was busy with many things. For twenty years after the compromise with Anselm, he was engaged intermittently in a struggle with France. Louis the Sixth, the French king, was the first to conceive the idea of a national France, whose realization was to be deferred so long through the centrifugal forces of French feudalism. Not the least impediment to the French king's policy was the anomaly by which the English kings held so much of French territory. It was hardly a fair fight, but it was hard fought. His irritation made him a ready supporter of the unruly Norman barons with their spurious support of William Fitzrobert. Henry strengthened himself by marrying his daughter Matilda to the Holy Roman Emperor, as the ruler of the loose federation of German states was styled, another daughter to the Earl of Brittany, and his son William to the daughter of the Earl of Anjou. It was after a satisfactory peace in 1120, resultant on a brilliant English victory at the Battle of Bramuel in the previous year, a battle which had seen the French king a fugitive, that the tragedy of Henry's life occurred. His son William, the heir to the throne, was drowned with his illegitimate brother and sister in the wreck of the white ship crossing the channel on a fair sea, the sailors being demoralized by drink, the result of the bounty of the young prince. Henry was a self-centered and self-contained character, but he seems to have loved his son passionately, and tradition had it that he was never again seen to smile. Queen Matilda had died two years before, and Henry married in 1121 Adelisa of Louvain, but the marriage had no issue. William had been his only legitimate son, and he bent all his energies to secure the secession to the English throne of his daughter Matilda, the wife of the emperor. In 1125 her husband died and the empress returned at her father's bidding from the land whither she had gone fifteen years before as a child of eight, and which she loved as she could never love England. The secession of a queen and her right to the English throne had, as Henry knew, no precedent, though feudal law permitted the secession of women to baronies. Nevertheless, Henry demanded in 1126 an oath from all the baronage of England 
lay and spiritual to support her secession david of scotland swore and after him the king's son robert of gloucester and his nephew stephen of boulogne the french king on realizing that matilda was also to secede to the duchy of normandy and the great impediment to french unity thus prolonged again took up arms on behalf of william of normandy henry met the crisis by the marriage of matilda to geoffrey son of fulk duke of anjou the natural enemy of normandy the step was most abhorrent to the norman barons and and henry would probably not have taken it if he could have foreseen the death of william fitzrobert which occurred in the following year henry remained in comparatively peaceful possession of normandy until his death in normandy on the first of december eleven thirty five the traditional surfeit of lampreys if it did not cause accelerated his end he was a man of rare physical strength and his reign of thirty-five years was remarkably long for a medieval sovereign his body was carried back to england and buried in the abbey he had founded at Reading. the forces of conservatism was stronger than henry's prevision and stephen his nephew was chosen to rule england in spite of the pledges in favour of matilda stephen was the son of adela the conqueror's daughter and henry count of blois and himself married to matilda the heiress of boulogne and granddaughter through his mother of malcolm and margaret of scotland he was a favourite of henry who does not seem to have doubted his faith and of the londoners who knew him well personally he had all the graces of manner which matilda out of tune with her fate and environment lacked he was ambitious and rightly calculating on the unpopularity of a woman's rule increased in this case by the norman baron's hatred of matilda's angevin husband he made a bid for the english crown and won it like henry himself he realized the importance of being on the spot he first enlisted the support of the londoners who had all the townsmen hatred of disorder in the middle ages the death of a king was always a crisis at which the bonds which held society loosely were apt to give way and the londoners saw in stephen's accession the nearest way to the good order they most desired how far they were mistaken is shown in the chaos of the next two decades for stephen's abilities were not equal to his ambition and the weakness of his position added to the weakness of his character gave a unique opportunity for the display of a rampant feudalism acting as it were in reaction from the bonds in which the norman kings had bound it at first few lay lords came into stephen's allegiance but he won the great churchmen to his cause including his brother henry of winchester their scruples about their oath in matilda's favour being overcome by the assurance of the perjured hugh bigot who declared that henry had regretted it on his deathbed the lay lords had no scruples and when archbishop william had crowned stephen at westminster on midwinter day eleven thirty five they submitted to his authority and took the gifts he gave with lavish hands it is to be noted once more how small a part election in any real sense played in the appointment of the sovereign stephen ruled england for nineteen years 
during most of this period the country was in a state of civil war more or less active between his partisans and those of matilda matilda had many chances of success through stephen's alienating his supporters but when stephen being a prisoner she was actually crowned king in eleven forty one she lost her supporters by her absurdly arbitrary behavior two or three incidents stand out in the struggle the battle of the standard in eleven thirty eight when david of scotland came to his niece's aid with the eucharist born before his army the scotch king's piety availed him little for neither his mailed knights nor his light-armed galloway men could resist the force of the arrows let fly by the english longbow a weapon whose use had lately been borrowed from the south welch and which was to play so large a part in medieval methods of warfare stephen conceived mistrust of roger bishop of salisbury and his son and nephews the clever administrators of henry i and arrested them to the indignation of his own brother henry bishop of winchester who transferred his support to matilda so the parties shifted until eleven fifty three stephen wearily agreed to the treaty of wallingford which secured him the crown for life but provided as his successor matilda and geoffrey's son henry of anjou stephen died in the next year the importance of his reign whose tale reads so barrenly is the illustration it affords of the nature and value of the policy of the kings who preceded and followed him his reign is the one period of the middle ages during which england experienced the horrors of continental feudalism stephen with his handsome bearing and frank chivalry seems to have inherited the strain in the conqueror's family represented by robert of normandy he was in no sense indifferent to the welfare of his reign but he was too weak to cope with its disorders for he was a mild man and soft and good and did no justice the chroniclers are loud in their plaints on the sufferings of the kingdom while stephen and matilda fought for power and none wielded it the whole royal administrative system broke down and there was no justice but the feudal justice which it had been the aim of the norman kings to limit adulterine castles rose all over the land and the english people built them with forced labor the greed for gain led the worser kind of baron to imprison and torture even the poorest to wring their possessions from them every man in those days we are told did what was right in his own eyes they cared nothing for the ban of the church for they were all forecursed and forsworn and forlorn the oppressors said openly that christ and his saints slept and the people were fain to believe them one other significance this interlude has for us it shows the entire powerlessness of the english people leaderless before their conquerors and the value to them of the alliance with the crown against the forces of feudalism henry the second had to take up the work where his grandfather had left it the church alone gained some fruition from this time the process towards independence which had been going on under henry i was hastened and a prescriptive right strengthened its increasing jurisdiction and its growing privilege the desire for refuge from a troubled world probably accelerated the growth in the number of monasteries which went on apace in the buildings of this period 
has seen already the transition from the round arches and simple solidity of the architecture which the normans brought to the pointed and lighter forms which are characteristic of the full middle ages the death of stephen and the accession of henry the second marks at once a revival of old customs and the beginnings of things which were to transform the new time end of chapter two